0: Hey friends, it's Michelle Lamoureux, and I wanted to let you know that I've selected some of my favorite interviews to rerun for you this holiday season and into the new year. The newest season of the Good Life Coach podcast will air on Wednesday, January 18th. And if you have yet to subscribe or follow the show on your favorite podcast player, you can do so now and any new episodes will automatically upload to your listening device. The other way to stay connected is to sign up for my newsletter over at thegoodlifecoach.com. It comes out once a week and I'll email you the latest interview and other updates that I only send to the Good Life Coach community through the newsletter. And once you sign up, you actually get a copy of my book, Design a Life You Love, free sent to your inbox. So I'm wishing you all a happy, healthy, and abundant new year, and look forward to connecting with you again in 2023. Be well and enjoy this rerun. Here we go.
1: I really dreamed as big and as far and as wide as I could. It was not something that I felt was even remotely attainable. And then... Over the next year, things started to manifest and I reread the entry in my journal that I, where I'd written it about a year later, I was like, oh my God, this is terrifying. How amazing this is. I wrote all of this and I didn't even have any recollection of it. Wow. And I would say within the, for, it took more than five years. I would say within 10 years, I would say 80 to 90% of it was achieved.
0: Hey there, it's Michelle, and welcome back to the show. You are going to love today's interview. Joining us is the iconic Debbie Millman. I have been an admirer of her work for years, and so it was such an honor to be able to interview her and to share her branding expertise, as well as her 10-year life plan, which is something that she teaches to her students at her school that she co-founded. It's the world's first graduate program in branding called the School of Visual Arts in New York City. And what Debbie shares today is how she learned this exercise from Milton Glaser and used it to manifest everything she wrote down within a 10-year period, which is remarkable. So I'm so excited for her to explain that process. So for 20 years, Debbie was the president of Sterling Brands, one of the world's leading branding consultancies. And under her leadership, Sterling grew to 150 employees in five offices. Now, while Debbie was there, she worked on the logo and brand identity for Burger King, Hershey's, haagen Tropicana, Star Wars, Gillette, and many more brands that you would recognize. Debbie is an author of six books, an educator, a curator, artist, and the host of the award-winning podcast, Design Matters. She's been named one of the most creative people in business by Fast Company and one of the most influential designers working today by Graphic Design USA. You'll hear that Debbie is so committed to everything she does and also committed to giving back, and she's currently working with Law & Order SVU actor and activist Mariska Hargitay's Joyful Heart Foundation to eradicate sexual assault, domestic violence, child abuse, and the Rape Kit Backlog. So just two little footnotes before we get into the show. We wanted to mention that you'll hear me talk to her about Roxanne. In the beginning of the interview, Roxanne Gay is Debbie's now wife. They were engaged at the time of the show. And the other thing is I had asked Debbie her thoughts on people trying to create a brand out of themselves. And she gave a really interesting answer. Um, Unfortunately, I had a technical issue on my end that while she was speaking, part of the audio dropped. So I only have part of her answer, but I kept it in because it was such a good response. And I think it gives you a clear picture on her thoughts about that. So remember, all of the show notes can be found over at thegoodlifecoach.com. And as you know, this show is all about designing life that you love. And I'm so excited for Debbie to share how she continues to do this and how we can too. So here we go. Hey, Debbie, thank you for joining me today. Oh, Michelle, thank you. It's really a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. I'm honored to have you here. And first, I want to congratulate you. So you did your first TED Talk, which I thought was phenomenal. So that's amazing. 15 years on your own podcast, Design Matters, also phenomenal. And your engagement. I don't know when you got engaged, but I saw you post. I'm like, this is a lot of big things within a year. So congrats on all of that it is i don't know if do you believe in astrology at all i've definitely had my chart done a few times for sure so so there's
1: this thing in astrology called the saturn return yes. which happens every 29 years saturn returns to the place it was when you were born and usually the first saturn return 29 when you're 29 usually you have a lot of big life changes and look to really lean into your life, deal with a lot of the issues that you might not have dealt with. And between 29 and 30, I definitely had that happen. It was one of the worst years or hardest years of my life. So now I'm going through my second Saturn return at 58. What, What astrology points to is that you tend to, with your second re- Saturn return, have a lot of positive things happen. And so I'm, I'm attributing all that luck to my second Saturn return.
0: I love it. So what's your sign that I'm curious? I'm a Scorpio. Okay. So I actually read a beautiful article that Roxanne wrote about you on Medium. I was touched by it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm really Thank you. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And I, I'm i curious, um, <laughs> you know, with so much of What's happened with coronavirus and everything happening, like New York City being the epicenter and being in LA, what are you doing to cope and manage and how are you just doing?
1: Well, it's kind of day to day. I am some days I, I'm sort of saying some days I'm blue, some days I'm indigo blue, some <laughs> days I'm sky blue. Um, it's just uh, a lot of different shades and other days I'm okay. So it's definitely day by day. It's hard being away from home. It's hard being away from my cats. I get regular checkups from with my, uh, about my kitties from a family member who's watching them, but it's hard. It's really hard. It's hard. You know, I had to move my entire graduate program online in three days. So that was also really challenging.
0: I, I can feel you on all that. And I think, yeah, we're right. We're trying to do our best day to day, but it's definitely not easy. And it's hard if you're home and your heart, so much of it is in New York city and with your school, but I wanted to dive into your branding expertise. So you have had an illustrious career and you've done worked on so many hundreds of brands and so many iconic brands like 7up and Burger King and Star Wars and Travacana and more. And I I think my audience just loves knowing how did somebody get started? How did you get into the world of branding? And what was your first sort of recognition of brands? Because it's sort of curious, right? It's such a powerful thing in our lives. Well, I don't think I had
1: a conscious understanding of the power of branding Capital B, um, but I was very aware of brands and what they felt like from being a small child i mean i My dad was a pharmacist and he owned his own pharmacy, and my mom would take us to visit him at the store and I was mesmerized by all the packages and the barrettes and the makeup and the skin creams and felt like they had magical power to make me better, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which is sort of sad, but I also can look back on that time and see that that was a real education in what brands can or shouldn't or should do. But the actual understanding of the discipline of branding didn't really happen until much, much, much later. I had a career for 10 years in design before I made the shift to branding. And that shift was not one that I had intended for. I had been working in a design firm and wasn't doing particularly well and got an opportunity to work at a branding studio, branding identity or or branding consultancy. And the job that I was hired for was new business. And I took that job really as a Hail Mary because I needed to pay my rent and (laughs) wanted to stay somewhat analogous to the design business or adjacent to the design business. And ended up finding out very quickly that I had a particular talent for new business and did really really well selling branding programs to corporate clients right. and that's really how my career developed
0: wow okay through
1: through, through the success of sales
0: <laughs> okay so how do you differentiate between you know so for people who aren't familiar with this world like design versus branding
1: well branding is the process of manufacturing meaning mm-hmm. creating meaning through symbols and objects. And design is the expression of that meaning.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Is that your definition then of branding? Well, branding is manufacturing meaning. Okay. And I don't, I'm
1: not using manufacturing in a pejorative way. People are like, oh, that sounds so uh, manipulative and fake. Well, it kind of is in a way, in that you're making something out of. Nothing. (laughs) You're creating something that then you want to communicate meaning and value with. I often say that branding is the result of a journey of positioning. Mm-hmm. And you're you're creating something and you're creating a positioning around that thing that you want to communicate out and create consensus around. And design is that consensus. You're using design to create consensus.
0: Right. So it's curious though. So when you were hired, getting the new business, whatever, let's say to either create a new brand or to rebrand, and it's all about infusing, you know, creating that meaning. How do you stay true to that? How do you do that? Because there's a lot of entrepreneurs who listen. And I think what happens, it's a very noisy world with social media and everyone starts comparing and they lose that essence of even who they are, what they represent. So I'd love your thoughts on how do you create? How do you how do you approach it?
1: Well, I think that any brand that either needs to be redesigned or any entrepreneur that's creating a new brand or hoping to create a new brand has to ask one really important question, which is, why does the world need this? And does the world need another bottled water? I don't think so. Do we need any bottled water? Big question for another day. Um, so, if you're looking to create something for in service of an audience that needs this, then I think that there is opportunity to make something important. Mm. If you're doing something strictly for the Uh, result of making money, um, selling it to a much larger company and and becoming rich. Um, Those are very internal reasons. So look at your audience, see what you can create in service to them. If in the process of making something in service for others, you can also benefit from that, then I think it's a great idea and something that you should pursue.
0: Yeah, thank you. And did you have a favorite, I mean, maybe that's like picking a favorite child or pet or something, but did you have a favorite project that you worked on? I mean, you worked on so many, but was there one that just was, for some reason, that just connected to you in some way?
1: Well, I would say one of the most important was the work that I did with my client at Kimberly Clark at the time, uh, the global design director was a woman named Christine Mao, is a woman named Christine Mao. She's no longer at Kimberly-Clark now. She's the vice president of strategy at Medline, is now on the front lines of what's happening in biotech and and, um, the medical community. Um, But at the time, she was the global design director at Kimberly-Clark. And uh, she asked if I would be willing, on behalf of Sterling, to contribute to an effort that she was contributing to With a group of other corporations, which included Avon and Verizon and a nonprofit called the Joyful Heart Foundation Mm -hmm. to create a program that they were calling No More, which was being set up to help aggregate a lot of the messaging around eradicating sexual assault, domestic violence, and child abuse. Mm -hmm. And I was like, absolutely, absolutely. And so Sterling... With Christine's leadership, work to develop the mark, the positioning, the communications program of that No More program. Mm. And that's still going on now. That logo is still in use. And I'm super proud of that work. Christine is on the board of the No More Foundation. And then in the meantime, because of the uh, collaboration with the Joyful Heart Foundation, which was founded by Mariska Hargitay, who's the star of Law and Order SVU. I was invited then to help them with their positioning and their mark, which I did, and then was asked to join that board. So I'm wow. actually now the chairman of the board of the Joyful Heart Foundation. Whose sole purpose at the moment is not only to eradicate sexual violence, but to end the rape kit backlog, which is the result of that sexual violence and and the culture of um, undermining evidence uh, of sexual assault victims.
0: Wow, that's really that's really so beautiful. And I'm wondering, you know, when you're talking about meaning and being able to create something that's so deeply important. I'm so curious with your all the work that you've done, what do you feel about what you're seeing now? So I have an 11-year-old, so I have a tween. Um, You go out to eat, well, not now, but when we used to go out to eat before COVID. Back in the old days. Right, exactly, right. three months ago. You see uh, young women, everyone's sort of... So there's the brand for... The water bottles, everything. And now there's like everyone's trying to create a personal brand, it seems like, and put Mm. their their mark on the world. And so, you know, when we were growing up, you know, I'm forty-nine, you know, maybe that community was your three hundred classmates in high school, and so you'd want to wear the Jibro for at the time it was Gibro jeans. But now it's like it's global. The desire is to infuse your sense of self through influence and likes and this thing. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm just so curious because I'm concerned as a mom, please share. You must have opinions on this.
1: Yeah, I do. I'm actually working on something right now that I'll, I'll share with you in terms of of some of my thinking, because I have very strong opinions on this topic. I don't believe that a person should aspire to be a brand. You can own a brand, you can represent a brand, yeah. but to be a brand is a very different thing. Okay. As I mentioned before, brands are manufactured. You know, they don't have any internal life, yes. they don't breathe, they don't have a soul, they don't have consciousness. You tend to want your brand to be fairly consistent and predictable. You know, mm-hmm. if you um, open up your bottle of water and it tastes different, you're not going to be like, "Oh, wow, that's a change." You, you <laughs> expect it to taste like it tasted the last time you had it. Otherwise you're suspicious that there's something wrong with it.
0: That's right.
1: So brands don't direct themselves. They're directed by people. People are alive and messy and complicated and inconsistent and complex. You want to be complex. You want to be multifaceted. And humans have a sense of right and wrong, good and bad. Products can be brands. That's what we want to make them in order to have mutual consensus we to to have mutual understanding and, and global consensus humans have a moral compass brands don't and what i think humans should maintain and grow and evolve is their reputation and their character and you earn a reputation by trying to do things well
0: and it's interesting i mean debbie you've you're not just a brand expert but you're an author of six books um, you have your podcast, you have designed, you're an artist, a TED speaker now, um, you've designed beach towels and wrapping paper and your editor of a print <laughs> magazine, and you created the world's first master's program in branding, which is amazing. Where does your motivation come for reaching out and affecting so many people? I mean, because I think a lot of people struggle with figuring out who they are, but I feel like you've designed really a beautiful career. And I just am curious how that's unfolded for you. Well, I think
1: that um, a lot of it really comes from wanting to feel like I have meaning and value. You know, it's somewhat selfish, I think. I've always, I've combated feelings of not mattering and um, a sense of not being someone that adds to the world in some ways. So I, I think that a lot of that is to create a sense in myself of being worthy.
0: And I think so many women feel that, including myself, and I know the women listening. So I actually really appreciate you saying that. But with all the amazing work that you've done, I feel like it's not really fair to say that for you. I'm sort of... I know. You know
1: it's very deep. And, it is. you know, you, you mentioned Roxanne. Yeah. Um, you know, she, she watches how hard I work and is often pointing out that no matter how high a bar I set for myself, if I even come near reaching it, I just raise it higher so that there's always this quest to try to be better. And that just comes from my lack of self-esteem.
0: <laughs> oh, you're such a yeah. beautiful soul. Thank you for sharing that because I think so many women are going to relate, myself included, where, you know, we just feel like you're constantly striving. And then, like you said, you hit that thing and then it's like, oh, well, maybe I need to be out there proving myself more. but. Then the, as Roxanne would say, look at all you're doing. Like it's incredible what you've created. I mean it's
1: <laughs> and I still don't feel like it's enough. So there you have
0: ah, it. Ah, okay. Well, that's actually helpful hearing. Cause I was gonna actually ask too, like, with you know, with the successes and the different things, you know, have you found that part in your heart where you feel like, okay, yes, I I don't care anymore. Like I I know it and I can feel it. It's resonant within, mm-hmm. but it's a life's work. Do you think it's a life's work? <laughs> yeah, I do. I think
1: I think admitting That you feel that way is a big part of acknowledging that it exists and working on it. For a long time, I I wouldn't have been able to say that, but fortunately now I can. So maybe just awareness is the first step.
0: Yeah. And maybe, I mean, in a way, though, but with all the good that you've created, it's like you giving a gift back. So wanting you to acknowledge like, you know, the benefit that the rest of us have received from the beauty of your work and your commitment and your work. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. It means a lot to hear it. It really does. I'm telling you as somebody who has followed you and has so much admiration that I'm so deeply grateful for your work and your commitment. So. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you. I'm wondering, do you have practices or questions that you do to, to kind of tune out the noise and just stay connected to what that next step is even if you're feeling like it's aspiring to the next step in the ladder, but anything that you do to intuition, what guides you to the next project? Is it sort of things that come in or do you actively seek or have those goals or something that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the biggest contributors to the, the various things that I've done over the last 15 years was the creation of the my five-year life plan in the class that I took with Milton Glaser in 2005. He He doesn't teach it anymore, unfortunately, but at the time he was doing summer intensives at the School of Visual Arts, and this was before I was even teaching. And I took the class, and one of the exercises in the class was envisioning your life five years out, and very clearly, very distinctly, very detailed to write out what that day looked like five years into the future, as if you could do anything you wanted without any fear of failure, humiliation, rejection, et cetera. And he really urged us to write that plan with as much heart as we could muster because he found it to be a rather magical exercise. And over the 50 or so years he'd been teaching, um, it was one of the most profound and powerful exercises that he, he taught. And, and I did, I put my whole heart into doing it and then put it away. I really dreamed as big and as far and as wide as I could. It was not something that I felt was even remotely attainable. And then over the next year, things started to manifest and I reread the entry in my journal that where I'd written it about a year later, I was like, Oh my God, this is terrifying. How amazing this is. I wrote all of this. and I didn't even have any recollection of it. Wow! And I would say within the, it it took more than five years. I would say within 10 years, I would say 80 to 90% of it was achieved. Then I would say within 13 years, everything had happened except the things that I had changed my mind about that I didn't want to happen. So that was interesting. Um, and then in 2017, I decided to write another one and quite a number of those things have manifested as well. Again, big, fat, giant dreams. So I now teach that exercise as part of the classes that I teach at the school of visual arts, but I've changed it to a 10 year plan as opposed to a five year plan because I feel that, You need more runway for big dreams. And also Milton's class was for mid-level designers. Hmm. And so a lot of us were in that 40-year range, whereas most of my students are in their 20s and 30s. So I want to give them more time to be able to manifest.
0: Wow. That's been one
1: of the biggest exercises, most important exercises of my life.
0: But you wrote it and tucked it away and weren't Mm -hmm. sort of consciously like thinking about Mm -hmm. it. So why do you think it worked? Because it's very, I mean, I believe in visualization and manifesting and all that stuff. I'm just curious that what about this process do you think was, you know, that brought the things into your life?
1: I think it's about declaring your wants, declaring what you want for your life and not just waiting for things to happen, but actually declaring that something like this is important to you and then letting your unconscious take over to some degree in guiding you there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a, just that, just in terms of like dialing in a little, in case somebody wants to do this, or how you teach it is, uh, is it just write as much as you want, and yeah, but yeah, just write as, as
1: long as long an essay as you want, and then we share it in the class. So there is this sort of putting it out in the world, a
0: declaration of intention. Yeah, yeah, and I and I
1: also get the same response that Milton does has had, where so many of my students are writing me five years, ten years later, and saying. Wow, this really is powerful.
0: Wow. And does he or do you do you do you advise to talk about like the different areas of your life, relationships, home, career, or is it just free I, form? people just write
1: whatever they want to write. Some people wow. relationship is more important to them, some people career is more important at that point. It's up to whatever anybody wants.
0: Wow. Okay. So I'm totally doing this. <laughs> everyone should do it who's listening. Yeah, some so I I talked
1: about it on the Tim Ferriss show and then some lovely person um transcribed what I said and put it and made a website out of it and I think it's called your 10 year plan dot com or something like that. But if you if you Google Debbie Millman, Tim Ferriss, 10 year plan, you'll find it easily.
0: Okay, I'm so looking that up. And actually, when I I heard you on Tim's podcast, I love that episode. I thought that was a beautiful interview. And there was a story that you told that really touched me. But when you were eight years old and you had drawn and you had found (laughs) this picture. Yes. Can you tell can you tell that story? Well, I grew up in a
1: really um, challenging environment, physically, sexually, emotionally abused for quite a long time. And I had no idea what I wanted to be or do. And I struggled for the first 15 years of my career, the first 10 especially. And um, in my 40s, I discovered um, in a box of things from my mother that she'd given me a drawing that I'd made when I was about eight years old. And it was a a drawing that featured um, people on a city street. I think me and my mother walking. I was little girl. So it was a mom looking person and a little girl. And, uh, it's the, it's Manhattan and I'm a native New Yorker, but I hadn't had any real exposure to Manhattan until I was in college. I was much more, um, Brooklyn, Staten Island, Queens. That was, that was the bridge and tunnels. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, actually, no, it was a little earlier, um, in high school, cause my parents got divorced and my dad moved to Manhattan. So in high school, I, I did have some exposure to Manhattan, but this was clearly written quite, quite a long time before that. What I realized when I looked at it, that, I sort of predicted my whole life. I was very careful in the way I drew this picture. And I, on the bus, it says bus. And on the bank, it says bank. And on the dry cleaners, it says dry cleaners, who even knew that I knew what dry cleaners were exactly. when I was eight years old. Yes. Um, and then there was a Lay's potato chips delivery truck. And rather than just writing delivery truck, I wrote Lay's potato chips. And so clearly I knew what logos were back then. So at eight years old, I envisioned this life where, you know, that I'm living, going to the bank, going to the dry cleaners, taking taxis and cabs and drawing logos for a living.
0: (laughs) So it's quite remarkable. It is remarkable. And it's almost like you created a vision board for yourself without realizing that's what you were doing at the time. Um, So I love that story. And you talked about, I've heard you talk about how you always knew you wanted to have a creative life and that art was a part of you. And I think that there's a lot of us, myself included, a lot of the women listening, who are creative expressions. Those parts of us, we kind of hold in a private space and we don't allow. It's like, you know, it's so deeply protected. And I'm just curious, as a creative person, as somebody who is an artist, who made a career being able to, you know, design and then do the branding and, you know, connect all these amazing talents that you have, what advice do you give to somebody about, allowing that art to come through without so much shielding if for lack of a better word. You just have to
1: practice doing it. You know, I don't think that there's anything that you can tell yourself to get yourself to do it other than just doing it. And what I can tell you as somebody that took a long break from doing a lot of creative work, when I was more involved in the corporate world is that it will come back. And if you do it regularly, you will really still be able to get better at it. And so, if you want to do it, you just have to decide to do it. And if you think that you're too busy to do it, you know, one of the biggest things that has traveled that I've said is busy is a decision. You know, we make the time to do the things we want to do. Yeah. And if we say we're too busy, generally speaking, it's not as much of a priority. We just don't want to do it as much as the other things that we're actually doing. Some of those things might be contributing to a better life for ourselves. Some of those things might not be. Mm -hmm. Some of those might be things that we need to do for other reasons. So I think that we have to be honest with ourselves about what we really want to do and hold ourselves accountable to doing it.
0: Yeah. No, that's great advice. And I'm going to ask you a quick branding question again to go back because I'm curious, do you have any thoughts or predictions on branding post-COVID and some of the revolutions? You know, Where do you think branding is going to go with what's going on in the world?
1: Well, I think that I've been very dismayed at the state of marketing through COVID. If I see one more goofy commercial with the same piano music talking about how times are different from companies that are not being true to what they're spouting in these ads. I I might break my television. Um, You know, I don't need to see another Amazon ad, pay your employees. Jeff Bezos has made so much money through this pandemic and he should be doing so much more. So I I'm really rather disgusted by the advertising that I'm seeing and how inauthentic and perfunctory and template cookie cutter it is. Sorry for the rant.
0: No, that's okay.
1: And I'm also really dismayed by a lot of what we're seeing now in terms of the response to the racial inequality and the rioting that we're seeing. Don't post something unless it's helpful. Do not post something to assuage your own privilege and guilt. Yeah. Post something if it means something. I'm tired of looking at all of this faux activism online that isn't really doing anything but giving somebody a sense that they're contributing when they're really not. So I think it's a really, really hard time we're living in. And this gets back to the question you asked before about you know, branding ourselves. A lot of what we do online is to project an image of who we want to be as opposed to who we are. And I think we need to look really carefully at what we do and what we say and how we behave before we start to communicate that in a way that is performative as opposed to sincere.
0: Yeah. No, that's so true. Thank you for that. To go back to your 10-year Remarkable Life Plan, you talked about... um, you, one of the questions you ask your students to think about is they're non negotiable when figuring out what they really want. And for you, that was living in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. What would you say it is for you today? Has that changed? Uh, my non negotiable is being with Roxanne um,
1: in terms of where we live right now. I'm in Los Angeles um, because we decided that it would be better for us to be here. Um, less density, a um, bit more sunshine and a big backyard. I'm actually growing a garden now, a vegetable oh, garden for the first time in my life. And amazing. it's something I've always, always wanted to do. I have little cucumbers that are oh coming my up.
0: God, it's that's kind of
1: amazing. Best. Actually exciting. coming up isn't the right word, just growing. They're tiny little cucumber nubs. It's the cutest thing. Oh my goodness. Um, so that's my non-negotiable now is to be with her. Um, oh. As far as where we live, I, I imagine at this point now that we'll, be living bicoastally, um, at least for the time being. I'm not sure when we're going to go back to New York, but my work is mostly in New York, so I will have to go back. And and I do want to go back. So of I just want us to be together.
0: <laughs> I love we it. Go. That's a beautiful answer. That's awesome. Um, can you leave the women listening with your three best tips? I usually say on living a good life, but I'm going to say on designing a good life.
1: On <laughs> designing a good life, three yeah. tips. Oh.
0: Okay. No pressure. <laughs> uh,
1: three big tips. Continually think, if not now, when? Our, our time is finite. And as I get older, I'm becoming more and more terrified by how finite it is and how fast it goes. So if not now, when? And then something that I've written about, you know, if you want a remarkable life, you have to, you really have to commit to doing it. You know, you are the only person that most likely is standing in your way of, of doing something. And if you're not, then maybe think about what you could do to be the person that decides. And, and don't give up your dreams or edit your dreams before they're even something that you try. A lot of people, myself included, decide what's impossible before they really determine if it's possible most of that sense of it being impossible is self-generated. So, I'm not smart enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not connected enough, I'm not talented enough. We self-edit what's possible for ourselves. And if I if I had to look back on my life, I'd say the biggest regret that I have is limiting what I what I thought I could do
0: mm.
1: because of my own issues with how capable I thought I was. So try it before you decide you can't (laughs) before you decide you can't, (laughs) you know, it's better to at least know, I think regret is something you don't ever get over. You get over failure and you get over rejection because you can metabolize those emotions, Mm -hmm. but you don't ever really get over regret. You always think, what if, what if I had, what if I could have? And so, what I can tell people is lean into the rejection because you might not be rejected. And if you are, then you can still try again. You can augment your approach. You can come up with a different way in, but you get over rejection. You don't get over regret. So that's the second Mm. thing. And then the third thing, don't give up on love.
0: Mm.
1: So, you know, I didn't find the sort of love of my life until I was 57. Love that. So don't ever give up on love.
0: That's so beautiful. Um, can I ask you one more question? Sure. Uh, what do you think that your 85-year-old self would tell you about living a good life? What do you think she'd want you to know? Um,
1: aside from moisturize. um <laughs>
0: Exactly. What would I want me?
1: I would love to be able to, Michelle, I'd love to be 85 and not have any regrets about how I lived the last 35 years. Because that, you know, I'm no, 25 years, 25. So I would like to think that when I'm 85 years old, I can look back at my last 25 years and say, she finally was able to really go after what she wanted on a regular basis and not be so afraid of what would happen.
0: That's so beautiful. I love your heart. I love the way you communicate. I love everything you've shared and I'm so grateful. If people want to learn more about you and your work, Debbie, where do I send them? Where should I send them?
1: Uh, DebbieMillman.com. It's my website and also my Twitter handle and my Instagram handle.
0: Awesome. Um, thank you from my heart for taking the time, especially in light of everything going on in the world. This has been such a pleasure. So thank you so much